how and why companies hire. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. And it's all about what's safe. There's no substitute for enthusiasm. Do you want to be the absolute best candidate for a job you'll love in a career with balance? Veteran leadership career catalyst Jonathan Flax is teaming up with leading executive search professionals to provide you with cutting-edge career transition strategies. Welcome to Career Transition Experts. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Flax. We are very, very lucky today to have Steve Cohn, one of the most successful recruiters in the country, as our guest on the Career Transition Experts. Steve's been recruiting for over 30 years, and on average, Steve makes a placement every four days, where my understanding from my recruiter network is that most recruiters aim for making a placement, they aim for a month, and not everyone even hits that goal. So instead of one a month, he's placing someone every four days. It's remarkable. And he's the only recruiter to ever have been ranked number one in both the big recruiter networks like the NPA Worldwide and the top echelon network. He's recognized also by Forbes as one of the nation's best recruiters for each of the last five years. So people sometimes have awards that are expired. This is a award-winning guy. He's the go-to person for many recruiters seeking advice. So please help me welcome Steve Cohn. Welcome to our program, Steve. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Steve, tell us, what is the main thing? What will people get out of listening to this episode that'll make the time priceless for them? Well, hopefully what they'll get from it is uh, an enhanced understanding of how and why companies hire. It always amazes me uh, how few people and how few recruiters even understand how and why companies hire. But when you understand what the motivations are behind the people on the hiring side, it becomes very easy to navigate the waters and make sure you become the one that they pick. It's really great. The how and the why, um, and how to use that knowledge so that you're the picked as the one. All right, well, where do you want to begin on that? Uh, I guess I could start just with a short inter- uh, overview of, uh, of both of those statements. Yeah. Uh, uh, the why companies hire uh, are for the same reasons that job seekers are looking for jobs. Uh, the people on the hiring side realize that they don't make enough money, and everybody wants to make more money. Um, and when everyone realizes that they're not making enough money, there's a couple of ways to get more money. Uh, one of those ways is to get a better job or a higher paying job. That puts someone on the candidate side of it. If you're on the hiring company side of it, uh, the way to make more money is to uh, achieve more in your job. And if you're a person who has people that work for you, uh, then you need to either hire better people who work for you to replace underperformers, uh, or you need to hire additional or new people to work for you so that you can uh, do your magic, achieve goals, and establish yourself as being wise and indispensable. Um, but it's very simple. A person is only interviewing you because they are hoping to make more money. Um, and that's true every step along the way in the interview process. Uh, the human human resources representative you talk to uh, wants to continually uh, establish and reestablish their indispensability to the company. So they're going to try to ask you questions that show that uh, they are wise and that they are properly screening you and making sure that only proper people are being passed forward. Uh, Other members of the team who might be interviewing, again, are going to try to show uh, to those who they work for that they are a necessary and integral part of the process. And, of course, the final person uh, on the hiring side uh, is hoping that you're a person who's going to help them make more money. 
so that's the why uh, and the how uh, figures in exactly the same way. Uh, Let me uh, comment, if I may, on the why, because I know some people might say, really, it's all about the money. Um, you know, there are people who are more about, you know, teams making a difference, having work be meaningful. But I think it's accurate what you're saying, whether it's because they are all about the money or whether that's just part of their motivation. You're making a very, very powerful claim that there's always a desire to make more money. And I think there's a lot of, there's a, it's a very valid and powerful statement. Well, thank you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. Yeah. Uh, and the people who want to do more powerful things uh, and better serve their customers and better serve their industry. Um, still, the reasons that they want to do it is they don't want to be anonymous doing it. They want to be recognized for what they do. Uh, and most people, uh, they, they like recognition and we like awards and we like trophies and we like prizes. Uh, but ultimately, we like higher pay and we like a bonus check. Um, and since most people live on what they earn, uh, they really are looking to make more money. Um, recruiting is a seasonal business and most people don't see it this way. But I've been tracking the statistics for 32 years. And every single year, the job orders pour out starting in the middle of February at the same time that the resumes do. And the reason is because every year in January, everybody gets their credit card bills from what they spent at the end of December. And they all realize the same thing, which is, I don't make enough money. And so the need to make more money, um, and of course, with that comes your enhanced job security, which again, relates to your financial situation in life. Um, uh, all these things are very predictable and reasonable, and I'm not casting aspersions on the hiring side um, you know, by saying what I'm saying, but it's just a reality of life that most of us work for the money. I could tell you right now, if I won the $10 million lottery um, and just found out right now, I would end this call right now. <laughs> so <laughs> there are things that I want to do with my life other than work. We go outside, go have some fun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Throw my computer in the pool and then follow it. All right. So, so it's amazing that it's not really spoken about like really in the recruiting world. I've been interviewing recruiters now for over a year. I've been in the business 22 years, but that hiring companies, the hiring manager is motivated to hire the right candidate so that he or she can make more money. That's the why. And understanding that can be pivotal to your relating uh, to a candidate relating to the entire interviewing uh, cadre of people I'll meet. So let's talk next about the how. Okay. The how is that the, the most qualified person never gets the job. And this is the most important thing for any job seeker and any recruiter to realize and remember. It's a mantra. The most qualified person never gets the job. And the reason they never get the job is because um, ever since 2008, and this was coming up to it before 2008, but ever since 2008, uh, the white collar world of well-paid executives and so forth have been living in abject terror of the idea that they could become long-term unemployed. And what happened was new habits were formed in 2008, 2009, 2010 that have now set the tone and the habit and they're not breaking. Um, and because they were so afraid of losing their jobs because we all knew about wonderfully, wonderfully talented people who lost their jobs, were out of work for a year and two years. And then they were faced with the prejudice of, well, if they've been out of work a year or two, now we don't want to consider them. And we all saw all these careers get ruined. People want to hire the safe hire. 
And this is why over the past years, uh, the interview process used to be maybe an HR screen, then you talk to the hiring manager, and then the hiring manager passes you to their boss, and then the hire happens. That never happens anymore except in small privately owned companies. Now what happens is you have a whole army of people that end up interviewing each person. You end up with these group interviews. You have four, five, six people. It's just ridiculous. You don't actually need that many people to talk to somebody to know if they're capable of doing the job. But what they're looking for is a shared responsibility. They're willing to share the responsibility for the success for the person. But when it comes to failure, nobody wants the failure of the person hired to fall on any individual set of shoulders. So if somebody really goes up in smoke, the hiring manager needs to be able to point to everyone else and say, well, you guys like them too. And it's all about what's safe. Because when you think about it, every single person who gets the interview, even the first uh, HR screen, is already qualified for the job. They've got everything on paper already. Uh, uh, you know, their, their, their background has been circulated. Um, and if it was all about discriminatory things like, you know, how somebody's going to fit with the hiring manager, all you really need is the hiring manager. All you really need to get along with is your boss and your set. Um, so, so it's all about covering themselves and making sure that nobody is taking responsibility for a bad hire. And because of this, the job seeker just needs to know going through what it is that concerns the person who's interviewing them. What has them worried? And then they can say something that addresses their worry either then or later. And every single person is interviewing, it tells you what you need to say in order to get the job during the interview. Every single one of them, they'll tell you what it is they're looking for, and you'll hear them use their keywords. And they'll always say what a keyword is, whatever it is. You might hear them say, you know, we need uh, somebody who's a self-starter, someone who's going to bring a lot of synergy to the team, somebody who's very uh, detail-oriented. They'll say the same things over and over again, and then you realize what they need to hear. And when they hear it from you, they feel safe. So after they have said everything that you need to say to get the job, you say what you need to say during the interview to throw their words right back at them. And then afterwards, when you write your follow-up note, you customize each one to each person using their keywords right back at them. And then each one of them will then say, wow, this person gets it. They're who we need. Yeah. And afterwards, the interviewers, they don't even compare notes most times. They just vote as to who they really liked and who they preferred. But once you yeah, realize how timid they are and how afraid they are of making a bad hire, it becomes very easy to manipulate them into hiring you. Hmm. It's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating uh, gutsy insights you're sharing. And I'll underscore this, the reiterating of the exact words. When uh, someone hears the words they spoke exactly, you know, if they hear the word synergy and they said the word synergy, they're going to hear an exact match and they're looking for an exact match. So the micro matching matches the, the macro matching, if that makes yeah. any sense. Uh, brilliant and really interesting insights. So how do people go about uh, really taking advantage of uh, once they have understood how and why and you've begun to speak about what they can do about it? But what else can you say about how candidates can navigate these two very interesting points? The hiring managers are looking to make more money. And they're looking to cover their you-know-whats by not having to take full responsibility. Well, well the best way to, to navigate it, again, is just to have these things in mind and, of course, never reveal that this is what you know. The whole thing is to make everybody feel safe. You're trying to keep doors open. 
Um, so, for example, if, um, if somebody asks you a question, um, if you have a type of experience that you that they want you to have that you don't have, you need to be able to, if you just tell them, like if somebody says, uh, have you built a room temperature superconductor? Which of course, nobody has. Um, you say, no, I haven't done that. And let it hang. You just killed yourself. But if instead you say, well, no, I mean, I haven't done that because nobody's asked me to do that. But, you know, there's a world of things that I've been asked to do before that I've never done before that now I've become an expert in. And whatever it is that you need me to learn how to do and come up to speed on is something I'm sure I'll have a very short learning curve on. You don't need to worry about it. And by making a statement like that, that's well-placed self-confidence, but that's not arrogant and not cocky, but you make them feel safe that whatever you don't know, you can learn. Uh, you get that much closer to being the safe person that they will hire. Yeah. Yeah. I've even just recently recorded a short video answering that question. I've just recently recorded a short video uh, answering that question and having candidates actually speak to a specific time frame, like you just said. Uh, well, anything that was asked of me, I was able to learn quickly. For example, when I learned how to make a semiconductor at negative uh, 30 degrees, I'd never done that before either. But within a week, I was able to do it. And within a month, I was able to show other people how to do it. Bingo. So very and specific time frames. You like yep. that? Yeah, that, that's good. a much better answer. That's, that's great. Yeah, just we're learning from each other all the time. Always. What is an important way for uh, candidates to work with someone like you uh, as they're dealing with uh, uh, going through an executive search professional like yourself, understanding those two concepts and how, how to let you know they're someone who will interview well? Well, that's... Um, that's always difficult because on the one hand, of course, you want to get your unfair share of a recruiter's time. But on the other hand, the recruiters, like everyone else, their time is very valuable. And uh, what a lot of uh, job seekers don't realize is that most recruiters only get paid when a successful hire happens. When a job seeker realizes that the recruiter is on their side and that the recruiter wants them to be the person that's picked, uh, that helps a lot. If the job seeker has some empathy and sympathy and understanding for what the recruiter is doing. Uh, but what the recruiter really doesn't want is somebody who's going to waste their time and who isn't proactive. We are always looking for people who are really engaged in what they're doing and they're engaged as a job seeker. So if a, uh, if a uh, potential candidate contacts me and asks me, hey, Steve, you got anything new for me? I'm completely not interested. And the reason I'm completely not interested is because everything that I have open is at my website. And everything that every recruiter has is pretty much posted at their websites. So if the job seeker is telling me that they haven't even taken the two minutes it could take to look, look, look through my website, then I can see they're not serious. They're not engaged. Maybe they're just sending me a spam type of phone call or a spam type of email, but they're not actually engaged in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if they contact me and say, listen, I noticed this particular position you had at your site, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I think I have some experience that's very relevant to it then they get my attention. So they have to make uh, a relevant type of contact to me uh, rather than just the, uh, the touching base. Um, now, if they do want to touch base and there isn't a specific job in mind, uh, they should do it quickly and politely, um, you know, with an email uh, or a phone call and just saying the truth. Listen, uh, I don't see anything at your website right now that looks appropriate for me, but I just wanted to stay on your radar and let you know that I'm still looking um, and I'm actively interested in anything you've got going and then name, you know, whatever the professional area is that you're in in the geography that you're in. 
Really great, uh, succinct insight. Thank you, Steve. You've given us some general uh, insight, but give me a specific example, if you would. What is what is the dumbest thing you've ever seen a smart person do? The dumbest thing I've seen a smart person do, aside from leaving their cell phone on during an interview, which is a pretty dumb thing, um, and aside from the funny thing of somebody in a Skype interviewing uh, session need to stand up for a minute and reveal that they were in their underwear at the bottom and just wearing a suit on top. Aside from that type of stuff, uh, the dumbest thing that smart people do is not come to an interview with actual substantial questions about the company and the job. Um, it becomes very obvious to the hiring side if you're only interviewing because you need a job. And there's a big difference between the candidate who's interviewing because they need a job and when you're comparing them to the person who's genuinely interested in the company and what they do. Um, when somebody asks a question that shows they've researched the company and they're interested in the company uh, and what they do, again, there's no substitute for enthusiasm. And so when a smart person gets to a job interview and then they get to the point of the interview where the uh, person doing the interviewing says, so do you have any questions? And they just say, no, I think I know everything uh, that I need to know at this stage. Um, they blew it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Questions show interest. Questions show uh, desire. Uh, lack of questions shows apathy and no one wants to hire someone apathetic. That's right. And the questions have to be, um, again, not about me, right. but about how can I help you? Right. So, so the questions, again, have to be related to getting back to that question of uh, how is interviewing this person going to make me more money? Because it's subconsciously yeah. back there, even if it's not consciously there. And so yeah. if the question that the person's asking is about how to achieve better business growth, how to develop better products, how to ship products on time, how to reduce your costs. All these things relate to, oh, how is this, this person going to help me make more money and be more profitable? But if instead the person asks about the vacation plan and the retirement benefits and what kind of a gym club they might have a membership to, you know, it's just, if they won't directly be doing it, they'll definitely be subconsciously rolling their eyes and just being like, oh man, next. Yeah. Yeah, got to really be the right, key, right kind of questions. How can really I help? Really key. I mean, questions about service, not about self. Well, that's right. Because what the job seeker needs to understand is that although it is a buy and sell process, you have to completely sell yourself before you can be in the seat of being the buyer. Yeah. Uh, but ideally, you need to reach the final stage where the company says, we can't afford not to have this person. How do we bring them on board? The minute a company is thinking about how much you cost, you already blew it. Yeah, got that. All right, great. Is there any one example? We got some fire, you know, some short answer questions. Any one example of something really smart you've seen a candidate do that knocked your socks off in terms of either how they got your attention or how they got through an interview process and got hired? Probably the smartest thing that uh, I have seen people do is find a way to uh, establish a human link with the person that they are talking to. And uh, for example, I knew one. Um, where a person was interviewing at a client of mine. And they had taken the time to research that the VP of Human Resources uh, was a big donor at the Girl Scouts of America. Uh, and I had no idea. I'd worked with this company for 20 years, and I had no idea that she was big with the Girl Scouts. Mm. Uh, well, the candidate went in, and while starting with the interview, uh, when the uh, interviewer asked uh, things about, you know, things they like to do and make an impact, and the candidate's like, well, you know, I mean, aside from the things that I do professionally, it's only part of my life, you know, and I, uh, I do a lot of extracurriculars also. I'm involved with the Big Brothers and Sisters, and I'm involved with the Boy Scouts of America. And, 
you know, and in listing off the things that he did that uh, made him a complete human being, he hit on one of the things that she had also. And then they start, then the conversation gets sidetracked into this common area of interest. Common um, so, so then what happens is when the person gets passed forward, of course, uh, she becomes the advocate for that candidate. Instead of just being neutral, uh, then uh, there's a greater interest in the candidate. Now, it turned out that same candidate, when interviewing, when he got to the president of the company, also had done his research and had learned that the president of the company was a ham radio enthusiast. Mm. It turned out he was too. And again, when they got on that personal topic of, you know, being a ham radio enthusiast um, and the personal qualities that that represents that someone has, um, not only did the company hire that person, but I later learned about this because the president of the company told me, you know, Steve, I never thought to say this to you before, but the truth is anytime you have someone in engineering who's a ham radio person, uh, we're likely to hire them because it says this, this, and that about who they are and what they are. <laughs> Even though it has nothing to do with the job, it has a lot to do, you know, with the person. So yeah, anything yeah. that you can do to show uh, by accident that you have something in common with the hiring yeah. side, because if they yeah. think you've researched them, then you then you get very creepy and stalky, and it can go the other way also. So it's got to be coincidental. Yeah, it's a real yeah. smart when they pull it off. Yeah, well, it can it can be uh, if it's thorough and appropriate, it can be just even showing it that you've done your homework and you understand their interests. I, for one, am not a ham radio operator, but if I was meeting a ham radio operator, I might share. Uh, I noticed that you're really really deeply involved in the ham radio communities. I learned ham radio when I was eight years old in camp and never got a chance to never yep. pursued it again further. Tell me more about your interest and yep. letting a person talk about their own interest makes a difference. A couple of quick questions about your interest. Do you have a favorite cause you support? Uh, I support all things that are related to um, the food challenge. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like to go with big organizations. I like to donate locally and find real local food banks uh, that are actually um, Distributing food directly to the people. Um, that makes a big so, difference. And do you have a favorite singer, songwriter, band, or musical composer? Well, aside from, uh, I would say my true expertise um, in the world is not really recruiting, but all things Grateful Dead related. So, Got it. Um, I'm a very devout deadhead. Uh, I, okay. I followed them on tour back when I was in college. Uh-huh. Back in the days of tapes, of course, which are now ancient history, I had a yeah. wall full of tapes of their live concerts. And, uh, very good. That was very. I uh, went to Cornell. wasn't there too far around the Barton Hall uh, concert, which I know is a big favorite. Just yeah. got celebrated recently, and I was in a Grateful Dead band for two years. I played with a band called Not Dead Yet. And I, <laughs> I played the keyboardist, and uh, when I oh, first auditioned, they said, "Aren't you nervous?" I said, "Nervous about what?" They said. About dying, you know, because so many of their people <laughs> passed away. So, first of all, you're not actually really the Grateful Dead. Secondly, I play a little bit more like Bruce Hornsby anyway, and he's alive. He so made it, yeah. I he made it the all job. the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise, your award-winning expertise from Affinity Executive Search, and um, you really have brought us some fresh insights on a, a very common challenges and i'm sure our listeners are grateful to you as well well thank you it's uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thank you for reaching out to me it's an honor okay great bye for now
Thank you very much for listening to the Career Transition Experts. We hope you got something of value and would love to hear from you on what you did learn and how this episode made a difference. If you'd like to contact or reach our guests, take a look at the show notes, and you can also find there a link where we will send you a free copy of our resume preparation checklist. If there's anything we can do to help you fulfill your vision and make that transition smoothly, contact us. We are here for you. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you again soon. Bye for now.